Hey, everybody. This is Trevin McGee from Lawrence.com, and I'm here with Eric Moline from SceneStealers.com. How are you? I'm buddy? doing great. Yeah? Yeah. You ready for the weekend? I'm ready for the weekend. Oh, you're going to have some fun? I'm going to have some fun staying out of the movie theaters this yeah. weekend. Oh, really? Why, yeah. why is that? Well, because I've already seen the biggest movie that's opening this weekend, and, uh, you know, I don't need to see it again. Oh, you're talking about uh, Fast Five. Correct? I am talking about Fast Five. It's the kickoff, the official kickoff of the summer movie season. Yeah. By the studio. Their studio is saying it's the kickoff. They're it's saying, the kickoff. Yeah, they're kicking it off early with Fast Five. Okay. But that's not all we're going to talk about today. No, no. The, other than Fast Five, we're also going to talk about my insomniac movie, Pick of the Week, Southland Tales. Richard Kelly's uh, follow-up to Donnie Darko, the cult classic. It was a big hit at con. Big hit at con. <laughs> <laughs> big hit. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about that. But let's not talk about old movies first. That sounds stupid. We should talk about new movies. All right. So well, tell me about Fast Five. Fast Five is new in that it's coming out this weekend, <laughs> and that's where it ends. Um, no, here's the deal. The Rock's right? in it, too. That's new. All right. So so that's that's the, the new dressing, right? Right. Um, the, the, this guy, Justin Lin, has, has made the last three uh, Fast and Furious movies, which is yeah. interesting because he, he pulled uh, this series, if you want to call it that, kind of out of nowhere because it seemed like it was just dying. They had the first... Uh, movie, um, which was Rob Cohen directing it, who's yeah. kind of a workmanlike uh, hack. He did uh, the last Mummy movie and, and stuff. And then uh, John Singleton, who uh, directed Boys in the Hood, it seems yeah, like I forgot Singleton. years ago, <laughs> and since then hasn't done almost anything interesting, uh, save for Higher Learning, which is interesting only in that it's completely awful and preposterous. And pretentious, but um, yeah. So then uh, this guy Justin Lin comes in after his independent movie Better Luck Tomorrow, mm-hmm. and uh, takes over the quote franchise and kind of revives it. He, he did this movie Tokyo Drift, uh, and then Vin Diesel was back for the one a couple years back, uh, which was just called Fast Furious, I believe. Uh, right? It was the Fast and the Furious. Oh, okay. Which the, was... the original two were um, Fast and Furious, uh-huh. and now it's the Fast and. The Furious. Okay. Well, this is cleverly titled Fast Five. I get it. And uh, and and are here's there five th- people in the movie that are really fast. You know, there ought to be eleven, but that's another story. Okay. Uh, so so basically, uh, if you're worried about not knowing what's going on in the movie and it, it the movie not making sense because right. you haven't seen the previous four, I have not seen the previous four, mm-hmm. um, and it still didn't make any sense. Uh, not because the plot is is hard to follow but because this is uh, an action movie that's just ridiculous and yeah. way over the top and i can't fault it for that at all actually i'm i'm uh i'll, I'll celebrate the fact that it, uh, at least is going really far in all of its action scenes yeah um to to be as crazy and give you something you haven't seen before and especially liking the fact uh that it seems like you know you never know but it seems like uh not a lot of cgi was used yeah uh in these in these action scenes so uh, Vin Diesel is uh, in Rio with uh, Paul Walker sure. and Joanna Brewster, um, who is his sister and Paul Walker's uh, girlfriend. Yeah, girlfriend. Yeah. And, and this picks up after um, the end of the last movie, but before uh, the third movie. So, again, let's just leave that there. But um, Wait, what? <laughs> Tokyo Drift supposedly happens after everything that happened in this movie. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So, again, don't think about it too much. 
Um, so, so it's a period piece. It's a period piece, yeah. Mid two thousands. Basically, what they've done is, and and I, you know, maybe it was a good move um, to kind of change things up a little bit, but they've they've turned it into a, an amalgamation of two different movies. Okay. Um, it's basically Ocean's Eleven mm-hmm. without uh, any wit or sparkle. Okay. Uh, oh, I hate it when they take out the sparkle. Yeah, and 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 also, you know, so that said, without any clever lines. Oh. Um, the the heist itself, however, they pull the same gimmick that they do at the end of Ocean's Eleven, where they don't actually reveal what's happening until the end, and that's that's a big payoff. That's really good, and uh, and this is all on top of all these uh, crazy car chases and action scenes, which yeah. which for the most part I think are shot really well. There's a a fight scene in the middle between Vin Diesel and and. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, um, that I think could have been shot a little bit better. Um, yeah, kind of hard they, to follow. Been, yeah, they've been teasing that in the commercials, and I yeah. was wondering if that was going to be like the big climactic payoff or if it was going to be what kind of peppered things up at the halfway point. It's not. It, it is the thing that peppers things up. It's not the climactic payoff. Um, it's kind of shrouded in shadow, and it, but it's kind of fun because it seems like these guys are like twins fighting each other. Or yeah. um, but anyway, so uh, and the other movie that it is is The Fugitive. Um, Dwayne Johnson's, uh, and I only, I'm only saying half of the fugitive, the half of Tommy Lee Jones in it. Okay. Dwayne Johnson's, um, performance in this movie is so much like Tommy Lee Jones in the fugitive that he ought to be paying the guy royalties. In fact, I'd like to put my foot down at this point and say this particular cliche perfected by Tommy Lee Jones earning him an Oscar in that movie the the intrepid uh, uh, you know dogged pursuer yeah. hard nosed hard nosed guy who's barking orders every five minutes and and has a great way with words and this absurd kind of confidence um, we've seen it too many times okay too many times since then so and in this movie the rock does it in every single scene he's in and what sucks is that he almost makes something of it. Yeah. He doesn't have any good lines. Like Tommy Lee Jones had some really clever dialogue that he was spouting off as he was doing this, and it made people you know, really like that character. This is yeah. just tough guy talk. It's the same BS kind of tough guy talk you get in any generic so movie. If if Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive is at the, the, the right end or the good end of the spectrum, what's at the – far left in willem dafoe and boondock saints oh god you know what uh i hate boondock saints with every fiber of my being and uh i think it's an awful awful pretentious that's because it is pulp, a, yeah. pulp fiction ripoff kind of a film of uh that fetishizes uh killing people in creative ways and revenge and and really without any ways. consequence though it really anyway let's not but but since you brought it up at least Willem Dafoe knew he was in a crappy movie, and he was having a lot of fun. Yeah, it disappoints uh, me with The Rock. I'll inter- I'll interrupt real quick. Yeah. it'll segue into what I talk about later. But I actually think he's a good actor. I think he I think he can do. I just don't think he's been given a chance yet. He's always he always kills on Saturday Night Live. He's always willing to go daring places or different than what you would expect him to be. You know, he's supposed to be this big tough guy, and he loves to lampoon that image on SNL and. Um, his his Barack Obama impression is actually really funny and really um, he's got natural accurate. charm. Yeah, natural yep. charm. Um, he's he's comfortable in front of a camera. You know, it's it's just really disappointing to see him kind of stuck in these roles. He's either the tooth fairy, you know, or he's um, he's in that movie Faster and he's chasing around Billy Bob Thornton and trying to kill him. You know, yeah. it's a, he just. And I'll bring him, bring it up more later, but that's one of the I actually love him in Southland Tales, and that's one of the few movies that lets him actually be a character instead of just this either tough guy or an idiot. Anyway. And the, and the thing is, is that in this role, 
uh, he was obviously put in there for that reason. It's just that the script isn't delivering him. Yeah. He, he, like I said, he makes the most of it. Yeah. But this movie is 131 minutes long. That's two hours and ten minutes. Okay. Let me, wait. Let me check him out. Yeah. Midway through. Yep, that's right. Midway through the movie, it's just too much. It's it, it's getting old at, at one point, and you yeah. can't take it anymore. And you're just wishing that they would start. And thankfully, they do another car chase scene. Right. Uh, but this is is mainly a heist film. It's all about them uh, taking on this drug lord in Rio. And working on this this uh, big crazy one last heist, it's even so much that they get the team back together. And I mean, it's very yeah. Ocean's Eleven. Um, so uh, you know, I mean, can I fault it for being derivative? Yes. Can I fault it for uh, the dialogue being awful? Yes. But what people really go to this movie to see are the car chases and and the action scenes. Had it been about a half hour shorter, uh, and had even uh, a slight more of a sense of humor than just the rock trying to make the best of weak material. I think I would have actually come out of it pretty excited to tell yeah. people, go see this film. Instead, this is a Swiss fest for me, really? which is uh, absolute neutrality. It's number three. Yeah. It's, it's the second one since we started doing the podcast. Yeah. I, think it's I, the podcast. I can't, I mean, if, if you know what you're getting into, then, uh, you know that you'll have to suffer through some yeah. boring crap, but it's it, the action scenes are really great and, and totally absurd at the end. Um, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about this. Again, great, great action, okay? But I can't take it anymore with with these movies that 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 they just spout this this soundbite kind of dialogue. Yeah, and and the, all they do is move the plot forward with their with their you know scenes. Uh, that don't they don't mean anything, right? But they're just going to the next. They're just setting. It's all set up. Yeah. And every single scene has to end where Vin Diesel looks at the camera and looks and, like we better get packing. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Every scene. I mean, it it and and it's not it's not the, what they're having fun with are the action scenes. They're not having fun with those scenes, and that's my problem. I just wish the whole thing was a little bit more lighthearted. It takes itself too seriously, mm-hmm. and and the humor, when it does try to be funny, it's not, and you've seen it before. So on that end, it's just it's kind of unbearable after a while to watch a go. bunch of those scenes in a row. I watch Southland Tales. Um, For the what time? Uh, fifth or sixth time. What? Yeah. Holy crap! You are obsessed. I really, yeah. Anyway, let's let's back up a minute, okay? Southland Tales is Richard Kelly, the director of Donnie Darko. It's the follow up to Donnie Darko, the movie that really um, solidified him as a cult director, and and you know it kind of launched Gyllen, Jake Gyllenhaal's career. No one really knew who he was before that, and um, there's a very fervent following um, behind that movie. They released a director's cut a few years ago. They they shopped it around in certain theaters. Um, it had during the mid two thousands, it had a very big uh, um, midnight movie presence mm-hmm. in a lot of places, and it just it was a movie that connected with a lot of people. It's got and it some, blew up on DVD. Yeah, it blew up on DVD. Thing. That's in the theater. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, tanked in the theater, and then one of those you know Second Life on DVD stories you read about every so often. Um, I personally don't like the movie at all. Um, and that's okay to be wrong every now and then. Yeah, it's okay to not go with the pack who don't have an explanation <laughs> for why they like something. They just do. Well, we don't want to go into my explanation because then you'll think that I'm getting off topic. But you are wrong. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. And, you, you know, you keep throwing your cheap shots out there so that I can't move on unless I just <laughs> ignore it. Well, your, your thesis is already grounded on uh, false premises. <laughs> this is his, his uh, triumph. 
What? Southland Tales, following Donnie Darko. Is that not your thesis? No. Oh, okay. Well, I'll let you continue. I then. think I actually, yeah. You know, maybe you should read the stuff that you put on your own website. I, I said he ultimately fails. Yes. I said but, that the movie ultimately fails, but that it at least does some things that are interesting and unique. And the first one, in, in, okay, and Donnie Darko. Basically, it's got some. It's got some sci-fi elements to it. Maybe you should describe it a little bit since you actually. Since I like it? it? Yeah. Donnie Darko succeeds because... I don't uh, want to know why it succeeds. It grounds itself in uh, a character drama about teen alienation. And uh, it goes a little further with that and brings in some sci-fi elements. But the nice thing about it and the thing that was ruined in the director's cut is that those sci-fi elements were explained too much. And in the original Donnie Darko uh, cut, those aren't explained, and it just feels organic to the story. Uh, and, like, there's this uh, crazy kind of world out there and, and um, that we don't know about. And that, that, that kind of helps. Uh, it, it, it brings in that feeling of alienation um, that, that Donnie's feeling. And I don't know. I just identified with it, and I thought it was a really terrific film. So Okay. So that's Donnie Darko. Yeah. Um, some things that Kelly started to do or showed in that movie that have, have kind of become his staples at this point, although he did direct The Box, and, and The Box is definitely his most restrained and, and a very underrated movie, in my opinion. I actually enjoyed it very much when I, I watched it. Um, that's another insomniac waiting to happen. But some of the some of the traits that he demonstrates in Donnie Darko that carry over into Southland Tales, he has some very interesting... He's got a great eye for camera angles. He's got a, He really knows how to frame a shot um, to make it visually interesting um also he just totally inserts what i would consider to be music videos into his movies um at several different points in donnie darko there's of course there's the one that's great is the tears for fears head over um, head over heels video if you haven't seen that uh, go to youtube and check it out donnie darko tears for fears we'll get it but it's this great um introduction to life at high school and i said it um in the blog or wrote it on the blog this morning but um, it's great because in, it's a long follow shot and in, in, in set at about half speed. So it's kind of, it's slow motion. And, um, in the two and a half minutes, you learn everything you need to know about that high school, right. the characters, the social structures, everything. And it's such a more efficient and better way to get all of that out of the way than if you have painful dialogue yeah, 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 like Donnie walking into school and being, what's up guys and then some jock shoving him into a locker and then him in science lab looking at the girl of his dreams who's you know the, the same jock who shoved him has his arm around her you know that kind of thing you you have to suffer through three or four of those scenes that we've seen already and instead you get this really cool really elegantly done um essentially music video in the middle of this movie that does all that for you and there's another one later set to the song mad world that it's a series of it's a montage more than a straight follow shot but that's what kelly does he likes to insert these sort of music video moments into these movies to sort of speed along plot and get you to the next place and it works you know he's definitely a director i think that's obsessed with pop culture in a lot of ways and in doing what he does he definitely shows the influence of the mtv generation on him and growing up, being that being a member of that generation that grew up with MTV in his household from you know for a long time, um, and so those are those are the things that I actually took away and valued from Donnie Darko. I, I actually liked those traits and those those things that he he brought to the table. And there's a scene like that in Southland Tales. There's a scene exactly like that in Southland Tales. Um, I won't go into the plot of Southland Tales. It's very convoluted, <laughs> and um, it's it's equally I think it's equally as crazy as uh, Donnie Darko in terms of the sci-fi elements and the things that go on but it goes it goes 
an, a different route. It's a little more absurdist. But in the same way you were talking about how Darko is about alienation, I think that um, Southland Tales really captures that sort of panic and fear that occurred, you know, and, and uh, I know this is post an easy way out. Yeah, well, yeah. Not, not really even just post-9-11, but actually I would say post when the U.S. started to fall out of favor with other countries. You know, mm-hmm. when we had the entire world's respect after 9-11 and then things started changing it. and yeah. losing, you know, and, and it became more chaotic and more concerned. This is sort of like a hyper-liberal's worst nightmare of what the country would, would go to after that. And so there, that whole feeling of uncertainty or fear, that really permeates a lot of Southland tales, and it makes it, it makes sense from a cultural perspective. And it also makes sense from the, the perspective of Justin Timberlake's character, Abilene, who um, is the star of the music video segment that I was uh, trying to lead up to. Um, he's the movie's narrator, and he sort of explains that there's all these tales going on in the Southland, and they all tie together, and he even his is part of it. What is the Southland? The Southland's a part of Los Angeles. Um, um, and I, I don't want to say I don't, I'll get it wrong if I say which specific part. But I've I, seen this movie, but it's so convoluted. I don't right. I can't speak clearly about the plot elements. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's basically the the tale. The Southland tales are the, these these three or four, five I guess intertwining plots that take place in a very specific part of Los Angeles. In the well, at the time it came out in the near future, right about now actually, um, in real time. Um, and California and the U.S. in general is in much a much more rigorous uh, police state. People are still able to walk around and do that kind of stuff, but they're 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 observed way more often. There's a lot of Big Brother elements, and there's um, a huge voyeuristic element to the movie that is is absent from uh, Donnie Darko. It the 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 other thing to note on it really quick is the uh, ensemble cast which is huge i won't go into naming everybody but i can name some people your big ones are sherry o'terry sherry o'terry kevin smith john lovitz yeah um dwayne johnson what are these people doing in this mandy moore michelle sarah michelle geller um let's see wallace sean the worst casted movie in recent memory and the reason i say that is because i already had trouble buying anything that was happening yeah throw in a cast like that on top of it and it makes no sense sean it's william, even harder sean william scott amy poehler wood harris from the wire uh miranda richardson miranda richardson i'm trying to think of any other big ones Biling. i thought at first oh yeah this is great because it's stunt casting and he's gonna have something Lambert. to say about this but i didn't i didn't feel that when i was watching it yeah, I don't know. I think I think he actually the, a lot of the cast I think was cast to sort of play against type. The tones are insane. Yeah, John the Lovitz. Scenes... John Lovitz is an insane cop that just kills people. Yeah. Sherry O'Terry is this crazy um, uh, radical revolutionary who's actually just in it for a paycheck. Janine Garofalo. Janine Garofalo is a cop or something. I can't even remember what she she does. John William Scott actually is the the movie's emotional anchor. You st- and, and he does a good job of that. You started to defend this movie on the basis of its themes when you first started mm-hmm. talking about it. And and I would really like you to explain the themes to me because I couldn't get any out of it. it well, like I mentioned earlier, there, that, that, fear, that fear and that sort of um, paranoia, those are two huge overarching themes. Um, and then the whole idea that, that, that these chaotic times are going to give way to a rebirth. It's a very literal rebirth in the movie. But I think that you know, I think that that there's a societal element there that you could you could you know, if you were going to write a paper on it, you could probably say you know that it's it's supposed to be a euphemism for a sort of societal 
transference or, or resurrection. A society in transformation or yeah. whatever. Yeah. What, what, uh, how long is this movie? I forget. I it's actually it really brief. Because it felt long. Really? Yeah. Well, it's, it's less than two and a half hours. I think it's, I think it's like close to two. And I know that there was Three. a different cut at con that everyone went crazy over and said they couldn't understand. And so he recut it. And yeah. Then, and see, I, I would love to see that version. If there's an ultimate edition somewhere, this is, <laughs> this is one of those movies. And one of the big reasons that I'm so drawn to it is because it's one of those movies that it's it's not one of those movies where you say why did this get made more than you know how did this get made how did this happen how did he get enough people to sign off on this how did he get enough money to make this Two how words. did he how did he do it what are you going to say donnie darko mm-hmm. yeah donnie darko i mean he had absolute this is what happens when you give somebody who's not experienced enough to uh, take a, a cast like that and uh, a big, huge, uh, convoluted plot like that, and bring it together, and you give them ultimate creative freedom. Yeah, you know, everybody did, did just he have final him. say. Did he have? Yeah, as far control? as I know, um, you know, I, I I don't know for sure, but I, I my theory about this movie is that the reason that Donnie Darko worked so good is because that Kelly didn't know a hundred percent what he was doing and a lot of it ended up being vague when he started to clean it up and try to make sense of it and put that whole sci-fi time travel book element into the director's cut it took all the mystery out of it well he goes on to his next movie he's got a crazier script it's even you know more wild and uh he he can't control it either he's just not experienced enough to keep all these elements under control there i mean but the ambition there is another reason that I actually yeah. am drawn to it as well. Because, I mean, it is a failure. It's a, it's a movie that doesn't succeed. Watching an ambitious movie is I would, way more fun yeah, than watching like, a safe movie like, like what, I just yeah, did. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say is, you yeah. know, while you watched a movie that, that, you know, was very by the numbers, one of the things that was the most appealing to me about this was I didn't know where it was going to go next and I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, God, how, if you were going to guess, how many movies have you watched? Like, not multiple times, but just individual movies. Right. Have you watched maybe a thousand at this point in your oh, life? yeah. More yeah. than that, yeah. You know, those eventually enough tropes recycle that you, you, you know, can it's start refreshing. to predict. Yeah, so when you're on a... When you're on a when you're on a train and you, the conductor might be dead, you know, and you don't know what's going to happen next. There, there are these scenes with Sarah Michelle Gellar and her friends. And, and I she's know this like Britney Spears kind of character, except she's also a porn, a porn star. star. And I, she's a porn star and a musician, and she has a talk show right. and an energy drink. And I can get like just from that description, I already know what kind of comment. Kelly's trying to make. He's trying to lampoon people like Kim Kardashian yeah. and 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 so and so. Or, These people or, who want to be famous more than they want to be right. You know, they're, like, they're success, they're yeah, not but, actual talents or right. whatever. But um, they're in famous the movie, for being famous. That's right. what I meant in, to say. In the movie, though, that doesn't it doesn't come across as being particularly clever. It just comes across as being tired and obvious but not working at the same time. And so yeah. there's something really strange about that because I feel like I know what he's trying to say, but he's not saying it well. Right. And, and there's a lot of that throughout the movie. I'm like, well, I wonder what the intention was there. You know, It seems like when I watched the film, I was like, hmm, well, that didn't work. But I think <laughs> I know what he was going for. Right? He should have done this. It, I'm not, no, I, no, I'm not going to second guess him. It's just, you know... Right. I don't know. It's it's a, it's a jumbled mess. It's a movie I continue to think about, but I don't want to put that's myself the thing. through again. That's the that's the other thing I like about it is it's one of those movies that you you think about yeah. a lot. You know, well, you've seen it a couple times and you still think about it. And I know, I mean, like I'm clearly in the minority here. Pretty much everyone who saw it uh, commercially and critic, uh, critically just panned it, hated it. You know, 
Um, it was in theaters for a very brief time. I remember... Um, it didn't even come here, did it? No, I don't think so. I remember Nathan Rabin, he does that uh, my year... He was doing his first year of My Year of Flops, and he reviewed that one, or he wrote that one up while it was still in the theater. And he was the only person... It was his third week in theaters in Chicago, and uh, it it was he was the only guy in there. So, yeah, this is really good conversation, actually, about Southland Tales. But we want to hear what you guys think. If you are movie fans like ourselves, you've probably seen this train wreck of a movie. Give us a call uh, at this number and let us know. It's 913-256-5434. That's 913-256-5434. At the very least, you can just call and tell me I'm an idiot for not liking Donnie Darko. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. To everybody, yeah, just leave us leave us a message and we'll play it on next week's uh, podcast. Well, we'll see you guys next week when we review Thor, Thor, the mighty, mighty Thor. We'll find out. All right. Well, on behalf of Eric Moline, I'm Trevin McGee from Lawrence.com, and this is the Scene Stealers podcast. We'll see you next time. Adios.